to this Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Episode number 46. Welcome to this week's episode and I apologise for the lengthy hiatus uh, between this and the last episode. It's been exactly three weeks since I released episode 45 to today. I did release episode 45 around four days early as I was preparing for a a relatively lengthy vacation in which I planned to do a lot of shooting. Uh, as I said in that episode that I, I may well not release another episode uh, for the following week, uh, but at the time I was hoping to find time to prepare a second uh, or pre-record an episode over that weekend, uh, but it just didn't happen. Uh, then I got back from my almost two-week break uh, processing the first few days images and being incredibly busy in my uh, main my, my day job uh, this week uh, both catching up on mail and the tasks from uh, while I was out and among other things uh, basically all of this meant that uh, I have taken until today to prepare and record and publish this episode so once again I apologize for the delay and thanks for those that uh, mailed me uh, concerned that I might not be okay myself. I will be sharing experiences from my two weeks traveling over the next uh, few episodes so you'll be able to uh, hear that I am very much uh, still alive and kicking. I do just want to say that on occasion I have and will continue to uh, disappear without stating exactly why. Uh, the reason I do this is that Although I know that you are all listening with the best intent uh, for your own love of photography and uh, you know the willing to learn through my experiences, uh, but the the cruel truth is is that the internet is also um, a tool that can be used uh, by more unscrupulous characters that uh, may well be listening for uh, when people are away from home with a view to enlighten uh, that person. Uh, of some of their possessions in the meantime. Um, I know this is probably just me being paranoid, uh, but that's kind of me. And, you know, I, I myself, I pretty much take every piece of camera equipment with me when I leave home anyway. Uh, and, uh, you know, on shorter trips, I often leave my better half here to guard the fort. Uh, so there's no huge worry, but I just don't want to tempt fate any more than necessary. So, sorry for being a bit of a sly fox in these regards, but uh, please try to understand my reasons for doing so. And with that, let's get to today's main topic on the first part of my vacation, in which I spent a few days shooting in Oyurase, a place in the Aomori Prefecture at the very northernmost point of Japan, uh, before crossing the sea to Hokkaido. Oyurase is located at the northernmost point of the main island of uh, Japan before the island of Hokkaido, uh, which I visited and spoken about on this bon uh, podcast many times. On the night of Monday the 10th of July, I arrived at Oyurase, which is around 660 kilometers or 410 miles from Tokyo. And I also spent the following night of the 11th there before going to the port of Hachinohe on the 
12th to make the crossing to Hokkaido where I'd stay on the 21st, until the 21st. I actually extended my stay from the 20th to the 21st uh, while I was in Hokkaido uh, for a number of reasons, but I'll get to that in the future episodes as we work through my account of the various shoots. I should probably say before I go on that all there really is here, uh, at least the only reason for my visit, is a river with a bunch of waterfalls on either side along its length. The river runs for around 14 kilometres from the Towada Lake uh, to roughly where the hotel I was staying in is, uh, where the river splits into two directions and continues on its journey. The attraction for me at this particular part of the year is um, in that the fresh new leaves uh, that cover the trees will be uh, just perfect right now with, with really saturated greens. For the Aomori Prefecture being uh, so far north from Tokyo and with the help of the cold weather fronts from Siberia, uh, winter stays for a long time. The colour of the trees here in July is probably what you'll see around uh, Tokyo in April or May. The drive from Tokyo to the hotel took around nine hours, mostly highways that run the length of the country. Uh, this is not bad going for this distance, which I, I suppose uh, uh, is a tribute to the engineering skills of uh, the guys at Toyota. I left my apartment just after 7am and arrived at 4pm. Uh, after a quick sit down and a cup of green tea, I donned my uh, photographer's vest, dropped a few lenses into the pockets, uh, threw my tripod over my shoulder and went out to explore the river that flows uh, by the hotel. The other thing that I threw into the inside pocket of my photographer's vest was a nice big juicy 70 to 200 millimeters f2.8 IS USM lens. Uh, if you follow the forums, you'll have maybe seen me write a few times that I would dearly love to own one of these uh, lenses. And I'd heard so many times, uh, you know, so many good stories about them, uh, although I'd never really had an opportunity to peek through one at all. Uh, another lens which I guess I would really like, um, even now much more than the than the 70-200, is the 300mm f2.8. The problem here is that the lens is about three times more expensive than the 70-200mm. The reason that I want the 300 uh, f2.8 is because it has a ridiculously shallow depth of field at its shorter focusing distances, which gives us a lot of power when it comes to composing fine art images. Now, a few weeks before I was due to come to Oirase and Hokkaido, I bought a magazine that had a number of shots comparing the 300mm f2.8 images with f2.8 shots made at, uh, with the 70-200mm at um, the at its full length at 200 millimeters, but the subject was framed so uh, that you know it was framed the same, uh, i.e. the the photographer had moved closer to the subject, um, so that it, the the image was framed in the same way as it had been when it was shot with a 300 millimeter, and I was surprised to see 
uh, that the images look very similar. You know, the the, the depth of field looked great. Uh, you know, the shallow depth of, depth of field looked great with the two hundred, uh, the two hundred millimeters at f two point eight, and you know the foreground and the the background blur just looked uh, beautiful in both shots. Uh, then, just a few days before I was due to go, I bought another magazine uh, that was detailing all available lenses for Canon cameras. And in there, I found some comparisons of the 70 to 200 millimeter lens with and without the IS uh, image stabilizing or image stabilizer. And the f4 version of the 70 to 200 millimeters, which is also an excellent lens. And I was now pretty much bought on the idea that I had to have one for my trip to Hokkaido and for future trips, obviously. Also, I, uh, I if you follow the forums, you'll know that I had ordered a P, uh, you'll maybe know that I, I had ordered a P4500 portable storage and image viewer from Epson as I feared that I would not have enough room to store the whole two weeks worth of images on my uh, current P2000 with the 40 gigabyte hard drive. The problem is that all of the shops around Tokyo are currently sold out of the P4500, including the shop at which I had placed my order, so I cancelled the order. And I won't be going into uh, going on any uh, trips of this length uh, in the near future again so um, by the time I do go on a longer trip there will probably be something either better available or the P4500 may well be cheaper so this meant basically that the $600 or so that I intended to buy the P4500 with was now a DENS so I went to the website of that store. Uh, you know, it's a place that I often uh, sell old equipment to and then buy new stuff from. And I saw how much they would buy my old 10D and my 20D for. Uh, that with my EFS 17 to 85 millimeter IS lens that I use with my 20D and so will no longer need. Uh, all added up to exactly $600 short of the cost of the 70-200mm IS lens. So it was fate. I now had to have this lens for the trip, or there was no longer any point in going. So basically, one other reason that I couldn't pre-record an episode on the weekend before my trip was because I was putting all of the gear that I would sell into the boxes, uh, finding all of the cables and CDs, etc., and getting them ready to go and sell, uh, which is exactly what I did. And by Saturday evening, I was the owner of a nice new 70-200mm f2.8 IS USM lens. And now that's a happy teddy for you. I find that as I manage uh, to upgrade my arsenal of lenses, uh, introducing more L lenses, uh, like the 16-35mm to f2.8, and the amazing conglomeration of glass, which is the 600mm for f4, and now having added the 70-200mm, to uh, I, I feel each time very much like the first time I put on a pair of glasses when I was 20 years old. Most of my family have a tendency to uh, need glasses from our teens or early 20s, and for a few months, maybe even a year or so uh, from when I was 19 years old, uh, my eyes or my eyesight uh, deteriorated just slightly. 
Even now I can still see pretty well without glasses, but when I remove them everything seems a little fuzzy. Now, when I first looked through a good quality f2.8, uh, I should probably also not forget the 50mm f1.4, and as I say, the 600mm f4 lens for the first time. It felt very much the same as when I first put on a pair of glasses when I was around 20 years old, after a period of not being able to see everything clearly. Everything just pops out at me. It was amazing, all of the detail that there is to be found in the world. Well, I felt very much like that again when I looked through the 70 to 200mm f2.8 lens for the first time the other week. The big aperture of this uh, mid-range telephoto zoom throws the non-focused areas of the image out of focus very quickly, producing some beautiful bucket. An example of the shallow depth of field of this lens is the first image we're going to look at today, which is number 1035 of a hydrangea flower that I found in the shadow of some trees during a, a stroll by the river shortly after we arrived at the hotel at Oirase on the first afternoon. In this image, shot at f2.8 for 125th of a second at ISO 200, you can see that I have focused on the second flower on the left-hand side as we view the photo. This allowed the right uh, of the two front flowers on the right of the image and the uh, leaf hanging down in the left of centre under the uh, blurred front flower to remain in focus. And pretty much everything else is nicely blurred. I chose not to focus on the foremost flower as this would have been too orthodox and I would have also thrown out the back of the flower uh, much further uh, out of focus than I really wanted to. I wanted that dreamy look but I didn't want uh, the flower head to be totally blurred from the middle to the back as it would have been. I also positioned another flower head uh, in the top left there you'll see um, way out of focus, um, but enough to show us that the plant was flowering in various places. I've actually cropped this image very slightly as to the left, uh, well maybe, I'm, I think I removed maybe 5% from the left and the bottom, uh, basically as there was another blue flower that had crept into the frame in that 5% that you can't see uh, on the 5D. I do usually play, uh, pay close attention to this, but on occasion, especially when hand-holding, uh, you know, things sometimes creep in, forcing me to crop the image. I do these days also consider, and sometimes do, clone out uh, the odd distraction from the edge of the frame, uh, but if it gets large, I find it easier to deny its existence by removing the space it occupied when I shot the image, rather than removing it from its space. I wandered over to the water's edge and decided to pick out an area of the river to see what I could uh, make of that too. In image 1037 you can see the result. I stopped the 70-200mm to down to f16 and shot this with an exposure of 3 tenths of a second at ISO 100 and of course using a tripod. I Exposure compensated to the tune of plus two-thirds as the white water would fool the camera a little uh, into underexposing this. 
Uh, this allowed me to capture a lot of texture in the surface of the water, with lines visible in many areas and some splashes also recorded showing the movement in the water other than just the flowing motion itself. I often shoot water at even slower exposures uh, than this, and I tried this here too, but I, I just really like the texture of the water here, so I decided to go with this one. Another point of interest there that you cannot really see at this size is that although most of the rocks are natural, one uh, the, the one in the very centre is actually a piece of reinforced concrete. You can tell this by probably by the shape, um, it looks a little bit unnatural anyway, but you can also, if you look closely, see that there are stones sticking out of the cement. But what you can't easily see without looking at this full size is two pieces of thick steel wire that has, they've kind of bent around back, uh, back into the, the block of concrete. Um, as the, probably as the, uh, this block tumbled downstream in high waters. For the 10 minutes or so that I had been at the water's edge looking for a nice area to single out for the last shot and actually shooting it, there was mist rolling out from where the river came out from the trees uh, into the open area that I was standing on uh, behind the hotel. Uh, content that I'd got the shot though, I turned to the same place uh, to see with initial disappointment uh, that the mist was gone. Luckily though for me, in the few minutes that it took to wander along the water's edge nearer to the spot where the mist had came out, uh, it kind of came back and we can see that in shot number 1038. This was shot again at f16 for half a second at ISO 100. This time I applied minus one stop of exposure compensation because the dark area below the trees this, uh, this time would fool the camera into overexposing the shot quite a lot. The good thing about the darker patch under the trees is that it allows us to see the patch of mist as it rolls over the water. Also making the water at the bottom of the image uh, a fair bit brighter too. You can see here the, the lush greens that I was talking about earlier, partly due to the leaves being fresh on the trees and more importantly because of the damp atmosphere uh, without any harsh sunlight uh, to cause bright reflections and desaturate the colour. I rarely talk about this aspect of composition but also note here how I use the rule of thirds. The water and the rocky area takes up the bottom third of the image with the multiple trunks, or the tree trunks, centred around the line drawn down the right hand side third of the, uh, the main, you know, the image and the main patch of foliage to the left upper uh, third completing the all round composition. Of course the rules are made to be broken uh, and I often do but I'm still a firm believer in the rule of thirds and bear it in mind at all times until I see an opportunity to break it of course. 45 minutes had elapsed from the first hydrangea image that we'd looked at earlier today uh, and I was happy that I'd bagged a few nice shots in the last hour of daylight before going back to the hotel for dinner. As I walked along the road towards the front of the hotel though, I noticed a patch of weeds growing out of some grass between some trees. Still in awe of the brightness and the sharpness of my new 70-200mm lens, I crouched down and framed shot number 1039. 
At a focal length of 170mm, I shot this at f4 for 1 15th of a second at ISO 100. This was handheld and the lens's image stabiliser was doing a great job. I paralleled the flower head in the left with the tip of the flowering grass that arches across the centre of the shot to the area uh, above the, the main subject. I like this shot for that dreamy feel that the wide aperture affords us, but to cr uh, critique my own work, I can't help wishing for a little more space at the bottom. I feel that uh, although you know the, the 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 foliage that we see there is uh, just it's just not enough. I would like to see more space uh, below this uh, this image, um, basically just to stop the uh, the foliage from starting so abruptly as it does. If I had around maybe another 20% or so um, at the bottom of this scene, I think it would have been a real winner. I guess I was just a little bit uh, too enamoured with my new lens though, and maybe just a little tired after the long drive, and uh, was not really thinking through the shot as well as I should have done. The plan for the next morning was to follow a path that took us uh, a little further afield from the hotel, through some woods and touching on the river itself a little more. To be honest though, the area around the hotel uh, was not all that interesting um, and the river itself in this area was pretty uninteresting too. There were also hordes of little black flies that seemed intent on getting into our eyes. Uh, one actually did get into my better half's uh, right eye at one point and I had to hook it out with the corner of a handkerchief, causing a, a 30 second drama on a sunny morning by the river. Thankfully though, uh, there was plenty of nature to immerse ourselves in for a while and I shot the next three images during uh, this walk um, amongst, the, amongst the rest of the, uh, the shots. Uh, that Actually what I'll do is, um, th there are a fair few, I think I, I uploaded around 10 shots from this uh, first few days, so I'll put a link into the show notes uh, so that if you are interested in seeing all of the images, you can click on that link and list them up. Uh, but first let's take a look at image number 1041. I want to briefly talk about a technique for shooting living things here that I recall from a nature document documentary years ago, uh, probably on the National Geographic channel. I wanted to get in close on this pair of grasshoppers sitting together on the leaf. The position of these guys uh, just sitting together on this big leaf uh, looking like they're contemplating either jumping off or maybe just enjoying the view from the leaf on the warmth of uh, the morning. It, you know, the position that they were in was just too good. So the first thing I thought was that I'd like to try a shot from around this distance, the distance of the shot that you're looking at right now. Uh, but I didn't think that I could get this close without startling them. Uh, so... What I did was I first off I I, you know, I got my 100 millimeter macro lens and I shot them from around twice this distance. Uh, if I you know if what if what happened then was as I got closer they jumped or moved out of out of this great position, then I would probably still be able to crop the shot that I did get from a little further away. The next step uh, was moving in to around this distance, well, up to exactly this distance, uh, and shooting the, the image that you're looking at right now. Um, uh, at that time, the uh, grasshopper on the left did move slightly, 
obviously aware of and uncomfortable with my presence. I got the next shot though, uh, which um, as I you know as I moved closer, startled the grasshopper so much that it turned to the left side. Um, you know she didn't jump away, uh, so you know she just turned, and you can see the results in the in that image, in image number one zero four two. I think this pair of shots actually has a lot of humour in uh, in them, uh, looking to me like a couple quibbling. Uh, you know, after, after this, uh, I pushed uh, my look a little bit too far, and the jumpy guy on the left couldn't take it anymore. Uh, she jumped away and left a friend alone on the leaf. The moral of the story is, uh, when shooting animals or insects that can see you or maybe smell you, start shooting at a distance uh, first quite a way off, and gradually get closer and closer. This way, if they do move away uh, before you get your shot, you may well have something that you can salvage by cropping, or maybe even find that you, you like what you got from the further distance anyway, and can use it without cropping. If you uh, just go straight to the distance that you want, uh, then they may move away and you'll end up with nothing. Both of these images were shot at 125th of a second at f5.6 with ISO 200. Sorry. When I first saw the opportunity, I quickly switched to manual and took a, a couple of um, test shots looking at the results and the histogram uh, to get the exposure correct before moving on. This way, I didn't need to worry about the effects that the background uh, changing would have, or the size of the darker insects are getting larger as I as I moved in. Uh, you know, I didn't have to worry about those changing the exposure. I knew that the exposure was set uh, and correct, so I could just concentrate on getting the shot. A little further along the bank of this uh, relatively un uninteresting stretch of river was another hydrangea plant that we can see in image number 1045. I decided here to play with something else that I'd been thinking of, which is singling out the tiny little bulb in the middle of these hydrangea flowers, but with a shallow enough depth of field to throw almost all of the rest of the petals out of focus. Actually, did you know that um, the part of the flower I'm shooting here is actually not even a flower? Uh, it's, you know, it's all for show, um, to attract bees and insects and give them something to land on uh, to get to the actual flowers, which are the smaller, uh, whiter parts of the flowers that are all bunched together uh, over in the top right of this shot. Anyway, uh, handheld at f4 for uh, 1 250th of a second, uh, still at ISO 200, I shot both this side and the other side of the same flower, I was still in manual mode, having just opened the aperture by one stop to f4, and to counter that, halved the shutter speed to 1 250th of a second, basically giving me the same exposure value as for the grasshopper shots. Had I stayed in aperture mode, the dark background of this shot would have made me have to compensate the exposure. That's not a big deal, and I do do that regularly, I did in the earlier shots, and I would have done it here as, again without issue. But if you take a look at the next shot, which is image number 1046, you'll see that the image is exposed exactly the same 
but the background this time is much brighter. This would have fooled the camera to un underexpose this shot, again making me play around with the exposure compensation. Many people are afraid to go to manual, uh, though few will admit it, uh, but once you get used to using the manual mode, making changes to the exposure by adding stops and uh, removing stops of aperture, uh, you know, adding stops of exposure that is, and removing stops of aperture, and vice versa, uh, will enable you to work much faster in the field. Now, sure, this hydrangea plant isn't going anywhere, but my missus was. I was spending too much time covering a few hundred metres of riverbank, and my missus wasn't uh, getting a little bit impatient, uh, probably to say the least. So, just like busy sports photographers or the portrait photographer with a busy client, I have very little time to play around with the settings of my camera and just need to get busy busy. If you don't already, get used to using manual mode. It will help you to get your results in most photographic genres. Okay, so just two more images to look at today, starting with image number 1047. This is very much the sort of shot that I was visualising when I planned my visit. I actually found it much more difficult than I expected along this 14 kilometres of river to find a place that I could compose a shot like this. I shot a whole load of images of various patches of the rapidly flowing river, and many, uh, even as I shot them, contained odd branches or logs in a position that ruined the shot. Uh, sometimes it was just a distraction, but the rest of the time, you know, the, the result was um, really not uh, what I was hoping for at all. And, uh, you know, really all I got, the only thing that I really felt um, that I liked enough to upload uh, to my website and talk about today was this shot. For this, I used my 16-35mm f2.8 lens at 30mm. Uh, with the aperture set to f22 for an exposure of one second at ISO 100. I chose this composition with the river flowing into the shot from the top right of centre and placed the green rock in the bottom right there to stop the flow of water from the back and force it left in our view, uh, that is, uh, as it is in reality. The rock with the grass on it in the middle was dangerously close to being bullseyed but I was pleased to be able to position it just off-centre and in the direction that the water was flowing. The patch of green helps to frame the shot along the top and uh, I chose this position and angle uh, basically to hide a patch of green that was creeping into the frame on the bottom left. This allowed me to keep the left wide open for the water to flow out of the image. I also like this particular image because you can see the green rocks uh, under the water in the, the bottom centre and the water flowing along the top uh, below the rocks is slightly reflecting the green of the trees above. If you look closely you can uh, actually see a log sitting on the rock just, just right of the patch of green in the top left uh, but I don't find this uh, to be too much of a distraction uh, I actually probably find this to be one of those small things that, uh, you know, because it's a natural element, um, it doesn't stand out, but it's one of those things that's like a joy to find uh, when you look at this, uh, when, when looking at a large print or large on the screen. So I'm kind of happy that it's there. 
I also have to admit that I didn't even notice this in the shadows when I was shooting the image. On the last day, the plan was to drive to the ferry port at Hachinohe, as I said earlier, and spend the night there before taking the seven-hour ferry ride to Hokkaido, the island at the northernmost point of Japan. This was going to take uh, a few hours, the drive that is, not the ferry. As I said, that's a long, a long ferry ride. Uh, so to get um, to get over to Hachinohe, I was uh, dis- I decided to spend most of the morning shooting and then. Uh, head off in the afternoon. I mentioned earlier that the area has lots of waterfalls and uh, over half of them uh, I managed to shoot uh, during this morning Um, but I was not really happy with the results. I was starting to feel that uh, the outcome would not be good while shooting mainly because uh, again uh, the area is very wild and most of the waterfalls are positioned on the other side of the river and uh, you know the river's lined by trees, which makes it difficult to compose a shot without it being heavily encroached with tree branches. One double waterfall that I did find that is not on the other side of the river is called the Shimai or Sisters uh, Falls, and this is image number 1048. In this you can see the left of the two falls. I got an okay shot of the right side too, uh, but I like this one. You can see what I mean about that lush green of the new leaves, and I've used them to frame this uh, very dainty fall. Uh, Or probably I should say cascade, as Landon uh, told us in the forum a while back. This was uh, shot at ISO 100 for 2 seconds, again at f22. For both this shot and the... Uh, last, I was using an ND8, that's a three-stop uh, neutral density filter to give me a long exposure to accentuate both the flowing water and, in this case, the movement of the trees. Actually, Landon was uh, also kind enough to make a comment on this image about the uh, the movement of the trees in the top uh, there. Uh, thanks very much for your feedback, Landon. This is uh, always very much appreciated. As I mentioned in the uh, the comments that I that I made there, I'm kind of playing with um, adding this kind of movement purposefully um, to to just add a little extra interest, um, you know, a little bit of movement in a static shot. I chose this uh, particular image from a bunch of the same, uh, exactly the same com- composition, um, just uh, for the movement actually. And what I'm thinking is is that, um, you know, like I say, it's just it's just one of those things that I'm playing with. I've done it a few times over the last uh, few weeks, and there'll be more shots probably that I'll include in the next few podcasts uh, that have a similar thing hap- uh, happening there. Um, you know, I'm, I do appreciate, Landon, you know, that you've said that you don't know whether this is a distraction or not. And I, I too, I'm like I say, I'm still playing with this, so... It's great to hear your feedback. If anyone else has any comments on this, it'll be great to find out what you're all uh, thinking. And and I can also appreciate that it's very difficult actually to see whether it's a distraction or not when you're viewing the image this size. Um, so, you know, if you, if you just have an opinion, uh, please let me know. It's always great uh, to hear from you guys. And on this particular one, you know, Marissa as well, thanks very much for your comments. And I hope to hear from a few others.
And that's about it for today. Once again, I apologize for the delay in getting this week's episode out and for missing last week's episode altogether. Um, If you were thinking of unsubscribing, please don't. I'm back and I won't be going anywhere for a while. I am going to try to get next week's episode out on either Monday or Tuesday as scheduled. And I have to admit though that I'm still, uh, I haven't even processed any of the shots from Hokkaido yet. So um, I'm, I'm going to try and get that done over the weekend. If I can process at least enough shots to do the next episode uh, and then actually prepare for the next episode over the weekend, then we should see the, uh, the next episode out on schedule uh, Monday or Tuesday next week. Uh, Before we finish, I haven't said this for a while, uh, so I'd like to just quickly say uh, thank you for listening. Um, I often say it uh, briefly, but I am incredibly grateful for all of you that listen and take the time uh, out of your busy days to to listen to what I'm saying. And also for the so many of you that that take the time to write me as well. You know, you you use the... uh, the contact form or you'll you'll mail me via the uh, the private email or the private message system uh, in the forum you know and just tell me what you think of the show it's great you know so i i really am very very grateful to all of you for all of this uh, it never ceases to amaze me the number of people that are downloading the podcasts at each each episode uh, and are also taking the time to get involved in the forums uh, you guys make that place uh, one of the best places to hang out on the internet uh, to talk about photography equipment uh, and other stuff and photography in general. You know, it's just great to to know you all. Um, it would be amazing if we can start to drive uh, the site and the the podcast to critical mass to take it to the next stage, which I think is going to be even more exciting for all of us. So if you can think again of three friends or more that uh, are interested in photography and you think that might be interested in the podcast or the website please mail them a link to the site or the podcast page and ask them to take a listen so if you will be out shooting uh, soon if you bear some of the tips that i've uh, slipped in today's episode in mind hopefully they'll be of some use Uh, Tune in next week uh, for what will hopefully be uh, an equally, if not uh, more, worth listening to episode. Happy shooting, uh, or whatever you do, uh, shooting whatever. Uh, Enjoy what you do, uh, and I'll speak to you again next week. Bye-bye.